Welcome to the Dynasty Junkies Podcast with your hosts, Rocky Petrella and Dustin Church. Let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Dynasty Junkies Podcast. I am your host, Rocky Petrella at Dynasty FF Addict, along as always with my co host, Dustin Church at Dynasty Junkie FF. And Dustin, it's uh, it's Scott Fishbowl season. Um, a lot of people are getting their their divisions and their and their draft spots. I know you've you've been waiting to hear about that. You hear anything yet? Not yet. Um, I'm just excited to be in the Scott Fishbowl though. So I don't really care where my draft spot is. But I check. I've been checking probably a couple times a day. Still hasn't updated yet. I know you got your your spot in your division. Yeah, I was lucky. I got it real early. I got uh, the mask division. If if anybody doesn't that doesn't know what mask is, I heard someone describe it as GI Joe combined with Transformers. That's a pretty good description. And uh, I'm at 104, which is what I asked for. So I got both things I was looking for. I was pretty happy. Uh, JJ, did you? Uh, I know you're in the fishbowl. Did you request a division or a uh, draft spot? I am in the fishbowl. Uh, I got the number two spot. I did request the two spot, um, and I'm in the Play-Doh division, which is fitting because I have a two-year-old daughter and and play with Play-Doh all the time. So, um, but yeah, so I think we only have like three people in our division though so far. And and that's JJ is JJ Zacharyson, as if you guys probably didn't know. But um, so we're very glad to have him on here. Um, and as an avid listener of the Late Round Podcast and, and all the other things you do, I just wanted to say, JJ, thanks for coming on. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. <laughs> love um, it. But uh, anyway, before we get into all the you know, silly fantasy football stuff we want to talk about, I did want to ask you the burning question on everyone's mind, which is, what does JJ stand for? Oh man, <laughs> I, I never, I never answer it. I, I haven't answered it. I mean, people could probably look it up. I would assume. Um, but yeah, I, I always just like say, you know, like maybe, you know, like John John or something like that. But it's not, it's not John John. <laughs> no, that's why I asked. I knew you probably wouldn't answer it. Yeah. But we'll get right into the show now. Start off as we do every week with our fantasy face off, and. Uh, JJ does a lot of work with rookies in the offseason, and we hadn't done a rookie-to-rookie comparison, so I thought that would be a fun one to do this week. And we have Cam Akers uh, versus DeAndre Swift, which would you rather have on your dynasty team? Uh, We did pull it, as always. uh, Got a good response, 1,600-plus votes. Swift uh, got 58% of the vote to 42 for Akers, even though they're back-to-back in a DLF Superflex ADP at 42 and 43. Um, JJ, which one do you prefer? Yeah. So, you know, uh, after the draft, I had them in the same tier, like a lot of people do. Um, I had Swift ahead of Acres, but I'm actually on team Acres now. Um, you know, the, the main reason I, I liked Acres a lot pre-draft. I thought he was a little bit undervalued as a talent. So I think that definitely, um, shrinks that gap between the two players. You know, I, I, I've seen a lot of people who just prefer Swift as a talent a lot more, which I totally can understand, but, um, you know, I'm someone who, who likes Acres. you know, people will trash his production at Florida state, but, uh, you know, within the context of his team, his market share numbers were really strong across the board. Uh, he had o- over 10% target or reception share his final season there, which is a really strong number. Um, that's really what, you, you know, that's part of what my model looks for is, is those pass catching backs or the ability to, to catch passes, even if they don't do that at the next level. It shows that teams are utilizing them in some way. Now, this is not to say that DeAndre Swift isn't a great pass catcher or can't do that at the next level. I just think that Cam Makers was sort of an undervalued talent in general. And then to me, if you look at landing spot, you know, we've already seen not to say that Cam Makers is Todd Gurley or will warrant 
that big of a workload, but we've seen a running back in this McVay system, granted behind a much stronger offensive line, uh, be the RB1 by far in fantasy football. We know that guys can thrive in that offense. I think that we're looking at a situation where we're predicting in the short term a split backfield with Daryl Henderson. Um, but what if Cam Akers ends up being really, really good? Uh, it, it seems given history, we've seen them run a workhorse in that offense in the past. So there's at least some upside there. And to me, I, I think carry on Johnson's better competition than Daryl Henderson. I liked Henderson a lot coming out. Uh, I thought he was going to be a lot better his rookie season. Um, but we didn't see that. And historically, you know, I've done studies on this, but historically, especially at the running back position, if there's not a glaring reason as to why a running back didn't produce during his rookie year, it's generally a red flag for the rest of his career. I mean, the elite guys, especially, um, but even sort of the, the lower end RB ones, higher end RB twos, all those guys had some sort of production during their rookie season. Daryl Henderson didn't really have that. Um, so I, I think carry carry on Johnson is stronger competition. He's going to be there for at least two more years. He's, he's on his rookie deal right now. Um, so I'm leaning Akers a little bit more than Swift at this point. Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, interesting to hear you say that about Akers and Swift, um, about how you had him pre-drift, because I was kind of the same. I, I, I can't do the analytic stuff that you do, but I do try. I'm not an expert film grinder. I do try and watch film, though, and I actually did like Akers a little more than Swift pre-draft, too. I kept feeling like I was missing something because everyone is all, all Swifted up. But um, so basically it comes down to that. I liked him a little before anyway, and I think he fell into the better situation, which is what you basically said. Carry on's better competition. McVeigh's a better coach. And Eileen Akers here as well. Dustin, what's your thoughts? Yeah, we'll go ahead and sweep it. Kind of for the same reasons you guys talked about. I've been on Acres for a while now, and I think what JJ said, he just has a, a clear path to being a true number one back that uh, Swift doesn't have. You know, carry on isn't going to go away. I'm right there with you guys on Acres. Okay, so three for three. Uh, so let's move right on to our commissioner corner. Commissioner corner. Um, this week, we actually have, uh, we've mostly been doing sort of general topics on this, but we got a, a submission from a, a listener. Um, NCR2312 at NCR2312. His actual name is Nick, so thank you, Nick. Um, his question was, what is your view on expanding a league from start 9 to start 11 or 12? Does it make the league more challenging or does it dilute the quality of starters or both? Uh, he wants to expand his league's roster to 11, says he'll compromise to 10. He's getting mixed feelings from league mates. He wants to make the league a bit more challenging and hopefully a bit more active. Any thoughts? Um, for me, I, I definitely think it's a good idea to expand. Start nine's a little shallow. And uh, I definitely I do think it does make it more challenging. I don't see how, how some other league mates think it makes it more easier. I think it rewards the better drafters, um, the better traders. So you can fill those, you know, nine, 10, 11 spots with, with better quality players. Uh, JJ, what do you think? Yeah. So I get this question a lot where people say, is it, is it more challenging to have a shallower starting lineup because then you're having to face tough start sit choices. But my response to that is it's not like your start sit choices are any different when you get to a lower tiered player, you're still trying to choose between two guys and figure out, you know, who the best play is. Right. Um, and so from that perspective, I, I agree with you. I think that this rewards team depth, which is really important. It shows who the, the better team manager is. But I would say too, when you're transitioning from not like if, if you have a start nine and you're going to 12, uh, I would, I would do it slowly and transition it slowly because, uh, there could be teams hypothetically that were playing for those nine spots in, in their starting lineup. And they were really not worrying as much about depth because they didn't have to. 
Whereas if you're now expanding that to 12 and you're adding three more spots to your starting lineup, uh, then you really need to, to let teams uh, take a year, take multiple years to, to sort of conform to that. Right. And so that, that's the one, one thing that I would say, it's a, you know, similar to, to when people say, I want to transition my, my league to a super flex league. That's even, that's an even bigger deal, but you know, it's something that you, you need time for that to happen because, you know, some teams will be an advantage or a disadvantage, uh, if you just were to do it right away. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with, with JJ. I think if you do it, you have to do it slowly. You can't just be like, okay, now we're, we're expanding right now. I was I was DMing with this owner back and forth and or this commissioner. He they just had their startup in March and set the league with nine and he's already thinking about moving it to eleven. I don't think that's something you can do in this uh, startup year unless you get a hundred percent unanimous votes from from all the owners in the league. I think you need to give it a year or two. Like you can plan it for next season or maybe two seasons out to jump, just because what JJ said, if people are building on starting nine and you know they sold some of their depth to get studs it's now not fair to go back and ask them to start two more positions so i think you have to give it a year or two out yeah and we were both involved in that uh, dm discussion and that's basically i think what we told, he did a story to follow it up and that's what we told him is that you can't he didn't think it was a big deal to do it right away. And we tried to explain to him, yeah, as a commissioner, you need to give people time. People could have drafted differently um, depending on the, on the nine starters versus, especially like JJ said, if you're going as high as 12, that's, that's a huge difference. Let's get into, we have a bunch of questions for JJ regarding some dynasty strategy. Dynasty strategy. So we're going to get into our dynasty strategy portion of the show. First, JJ. We hear you talk a lot about um, redraft stuff on your late round QB pod, but how do you like to build your dynasty teams? Yeah, so it's a good question because it varies league to league pretty dramatically. You know, I'm I'm really reactive to what, and it's it's similar to sort of what I talk about on on the late round podcast too, is to to be reactive and to understand the market and understand what other league mates are doing in draft. Um, and that's really how I approach startups. Um, I would say I'm generally leaning towards more win now teams than not um, when, when I'm doing a startup. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'm looking for assets that I feel confident are going to appreciate year over year. So I'm still looking at young guys. And I, I honestly, you know, I, I know that there's been a shift in the, in the dynasty community a bit uh, to, to be a little bit more running back heavy early in drafts where, you know, in the, in, from like 2012 to 2015, it was just, you know, six wide receivers to start drafts and uh, going wide receiver heavy. I still honestly go with that approach for the most part, unless I'm in a spot where I can lock in some of those elite running backs. And, and you know, the, I, I had a start up this off season where I still went running back, running back, but I'm still building my foundation around wide receivers. Um, and a lot of that obviously is for, for reasons that everyone listening to this knows. And it's, it's the longevity of the position. It's the fact that uh, you can feel good about their price year over year. You don't have to worry about contracts as much with them, uh, which is a huge deal right now at the running back position where we just don't know what's going to, you know, one year a guy looks like he's in great in a great spot at the running back position to be an alpha RB1 and the next he just doesn't get that second contract and all of a sudden, you know, he's switching teams and when they switch, I mean, how how many running backs can we even think of that have switched teams uh, for that second contract and, and maintain RB1 status? So, uh, you know, I'm still going with a late round tight end and quarterback approach for the most part, you know, obviously super flex changes that a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty traditional with my builds where I'm, I'm focusing mostly on the wide receiver position. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to get, a, there's a listener question that kind of deals with the super flex. So we'll get into that also a little bit later. 
But yeah, I, I mostly agree with what you're saying. And definitely in a one QB, I'm not worrying about QB. Yeah. I, I do sometimes like to go early tight end. I do think it gives you a you know, if you can get one of those top two or three guys, it still gets especially especially if it's a bigger than a twelve team league, it gives you a really nice positional advantage. You agree with that? I can understand it. Like I, I <laughs> no, no, I mean like so I, I I've this is actually a topic that's been brought up on my show like constantly over the last month or two. I understand because like basically the, the, the late round tight end or late round quarterback approach, the ideas behind them are similar. You're only starting one of them. That, that means that the demand for the position is lower and that's why you're getting usable players. Like, let's just think of redraft for a second. That's why you're getting usable players in the 11th, 12th, 13th round every single year. It's because that's where, you know, you're, that's where the 13th and 14th tight ends are dropping off the board because the, the demand isn't as high. The, the difference is that tight end is not nearly as predictable as quarterback is week to week. Uh, so you can't stream them as well. Um, and then in a dynasty league, obviously, you know, platooning them is just as difficult because you're still having to choose which guy's going to go off in that particular week. Um, but I will say, you know, there's still that supply and demand formula that exists where you can generally, uh, the one thing that's interesting with dynasty leagues with tight ends is that usually they're undervalued when they're until they produce when they're when they're pretty young you know like an Irv Smith for instance like he's still relatively undervalued right now but Irv Smith has has a top six tight end ceiling right that that ability over the next two to three years to become something significant and there are a lot of of Irv Smiths out there I'm not saying that Irv Smith is one who's going to hit right but if you can at least gobble them up and and at least try to increase your probability of hitting on those guys then it makes it makes that late round tight end approach a little bit easier to approach. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I don't disagree with you that going tight end early uh, versus quarterback makes way more sense. I mean, going quarterback early, even in a dynasty league, even in a single quarterback league. I mean, years ago, quarterbacks, their ADP and dynasty uh, in single quarterback leagues, it was absurd how high people were taking them because of the longevity aspect of things. But as we know, there's the position is so deep and it's so replaceable that it's just not necessary to go early. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I do the late round tight end for sure. There's just so much variance there to me. And, you know, I would rather wait till one starts showing and then I'll pay a little bit extra to get them instead of, you know, there's more. seems like there's more that miss than hit. And like David Njoku, for example, you know, like he, his value is basically gone now. And I know people that were paying first and first plus um, rookie picks to, to get Njoku. And I'd rather wait until they start showing a little bit something and pay a little bit extra at that point to know that I'm getting something and fill with like the Ian Thomas's of the world and right. things like that to get by. Um, I, I am the same way I built around wide receiver as well. And I've been seeing a lot of shift to building around running backs, kind of like you talked about, and it's made making moves a little bit more difficult because my leagues aren't devaluing the wide receiver position as much as I am anymore. So like when I'm like, okay, now I need to go get a running back they aren't willing to move the running backs from my wide receiver. So I have some teams that are pretty stacked at wide receiver and I, I'm fine taking that value and keep building um, that way and uh, getting running backs to the draft, which is kind of what I feel like it's shifting to anyways, like, you know, build your wide receivers and then draft your running backs because they're going to come in and produce right away. Right. So, yep. Yeah, definitely agree. So I also wanted to talk to JJ about 
You talk a lot about it on your show about your projections, which are actually just for the 2020 season. But uh, I feel like we can use some of that information to help us as dynasty owners. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you is what what does regression look like for some of the obvious regression candidates we have coming up? The first one I have here is Lamar Jackson. What, what do you see for him this season? Yeah, so you know, I think that the the, the key to to keep in mind with Lamar um, is last season he had that nine percent touchdown rate, which was the second highest in NFL history behind Peyton Manning. Um, and and if if we look at guys who have had a touchdown rate, so that's just touchdowns divided by attempts of eight percent or higher in NFL history, um, there's not that many of them. But of those guys, the average drop the following year is about three percent. So if you were to assume that Lamar Jackson last year had a 6% touchdown rate instead of a 9% touchdown rate, that means that he would have had 12 fewer passing touchdowns than he actually had last year, which of course, all those passing touchdowns don't just go nowhere. You know, he, he might've ran for a couple more, which would obviously boost his, his fantasy totals a little bit. Um, but it's still alarming. It's a big deal. I mean, he, there, there's almost a 0% chance that, that he's going to be able to maintain what he did efficiency wise through the air. Um, and then if you look at, at things from like a, a team perspective and, and how I build projections is a, a top down team level first to, to player level approach. And if you look at the team level, uh, Baltimore last year had 58 uh, offensive touchdowns. And if you look at teams historically that have scored uh, 55 or more touchdowns or even 50 or more touchdowns, they generally score fewer touchdowns the following year. I mean, dr- by, by a dramatic number, too. I mean, we're talking double digit touchdowns. So. All of that combined is saying that Lamar Jackson is going to regress in the touchdown rate uh, column. But then on top of that, if we think that some of those touchdowns are going to go to his rushing totals and his his rushing touchdown totals, I'm not that confident that that happens because of of the entire team as an offense regressing a little bit. So with Lamar, I still have him as a QB one, but I actually my projections have him only five points better than Patrick Mahomes right now. Um, I mean. Building out projections for Patrick Mahomes is one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever done in my life. It's just that it just doesn't make any sense. You you have a, I know this is off topic, but you have this like insane quarterback quarterback efficiency, all of that with Patrick Mahomes, and then you combine him with uh, a, a coach who has one of the highest pass ratios in neutral game scripts, and it's just like bonkers how good Patrick Mahomes comes out. Um, but yeah, Lamar Jackson is someone that uh, is is set to regress, but he's still my QB one. Um, and then I think you, did you mention AJ Brown and, and Aaron Jones as well? Yeah, they're on the show sheet. I was going to get to them next. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't remember if you asked about them. Or no, no, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying with Lamar. That's a really good point that I think people don't think about, about the, the about the offense itself coming down last uh, next year. So you, even if he's, you know, an above average touchdown rate, he still, they still might, and he gets some of those rushing touchdowns. If that even happens, he still might not, you know, he, no one expects them to go exactly what he did last right. year, but it still might be hard to get even all that close to it. I, I still, I think, prefer, I see what you're saying about QB1 for next year. I still sort of prefer Mahomes for Dynasty. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yep, I have Mahomes as my QB1. Okay, Dustin, any thoughts about Lamar? Oh, um, I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head right there. Um, I'm still Mahomes QB1 for Dynasty as well. Um, but I love Lamar. I think his, his rushing totals are going to just keep, even if he, I mean, he's not going to have as much rushing yards as he did last year, but it's still going to help separate him from the rest of the packing quarterbacks. And as long as that stays there, I'm not like the touchdowns will go up and down, but if his rushing total stay there, then, you know, he's going to be producing regardless. 
Okay, JJ spoiled it a little, so let's get into AJ <laughs> Brown. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know AJ Brown's not going to be able to maintain his yards per target rate that he had last year. We just don't see that year over year at all. Um, but he's still going to, I mean, likely going to be a pretty efficient wide receiver, and he's one who, if you look at history in terms of yards per route run and, and even his yards per target rate, uh, the rookies who have had that high of a rate or, or in the ballpark of what AJ Brown did last year are really, really good wide receivers. I, I, AJ Brown should be a stud, uh, realistically. I think that the, the scarier part for, for AJ Brown, of course, there's going to be some regression from an efficiency standpoint. Um, but then on top of that, that regression is happening within an offense that even though they will likely be more pass heavy, because that's generally what we see at the team level every year is the teams that were really, really run heavy or really, really pass heavy. They sort of conform to the middle, um, you know, as we move year over year. And so I, I would expect the Titans to be a, li- a little bit more pass heavy because they might not see as, as favorable game scripts this year. Um, but I don't know if it's going to combat, you know, the, the lack of efficiency enough. I still have AJ Brown about at where he's being drafted from a, from a redraft standpoint, which is like a top 20 ish guy. Um, but you know, dynasty, I think it's a completely different story where I have AJ Brown as a top 10 guy. Um, so with, uh, AJ Brown, so you kind of referenced it then you, I guess you, you're not, you don't think that maybe the, um, that he might get more volume to make up for the lack of efficiency. I think that he should. Um, it's just a matter of, of how much volume that is. Uh, and in my projections, it's, it's not enough to be like a, a locked in top 10 guy. Um, but again, I, I think that this is a, a classic case of people, you know, the people who understand regression out there and, and, and fantasy managers in the market has been way sharper over the last couple of years at recognizing this kind of stuff. I mean, we have Ryan Tannehill last year, who was a, a the, the QB two essentially since he, when he took over, right. He's an easy top five quarterback. And this year he's being drafted at QB 17 because people are recognizing regression and what's sustainable and what's not sustainable. Um, but I think that what's happening with AJ Brown to a degree, you know, there's a large subset of people who uh, think that that he's just not even going to come close to what he did last year uh, because he was so efficient and so good. But I do think that the volume is there enough for him to maintain where where the market generally thinks. So I'm I'm pretty middle of the road from a redraft standpoint with AJ Brown. I of course there's a scenario where he uh, where they throw more than what's being projected, right? And, and he's right. able to to see more volume and, and see a decent target share in that offense and, and is able to be a, a wide receiver one um, and maybe have more of like a DJ Moore type stat line that we're projecting for more. But um, I, I, I still think that a, a safer bet is to draft him as your wide receiver too. I don't know. He's got all the hype now. Did you see all the pictures of him with his shirt off? You know, yeah. his value is <laughs> yeah. skyrocketing right. now because of it. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, de- definitely in dynasty, he's still he's still way up there. But I I definitely see yeah what you're saying about next year, and our other guy was uh, um, Aaron Jones. Jones. Yeah. So let's talk about him. Man, Aaron Jones was was rough last year because it was so hard to to find. You know, there was a, a a month of November, like basically the entire month of November, where Jamal Williams was the better fantasy asset than Aaron Jones was because of the way they split that backfield. And we have to be a little bit concerned about them splitting the backfield uh, this season, especially with A.J. Dillon there. But I think that the A.J. Dillon draft pick was more about Jamal Williams than Aaron Jones. We've already seen... I've said that exact same thing. Yeah, we've we've already seen reports out there about them wanting to extend Jones and etc. We haven't heard a peep about Jamal Williams. Um, But last year, Aaron Jones should have had like eight rushing touchdowns according to this weighted formula that I use for, for, uh, for touchdown regression. Um, but you know, he had like 16 on the ground. So he basically doubled that. So there's going to be some regression. The problem is the running back position in general, uh, is not deep 
right? So you get to these, like you get to like Miles Sanders from a projection standpoint. You can, you know, Miles Sanders doesn't project to be that unbelievable. You know, he's not in that like top tier of running backs. He's not even necessarily in the mix in tier for a lot of people. Uh, this is more so from a redraft standpoint, but I guess they're technically sort of in the same tier in dynasty too. But, mm -hmm. um, but with, with Miles Sanders, you can at least envision that path to upside. You know, you can envision and see, I love Miles. Like I think Miles Sanders could be this year's Dalvin cook from a fantasy perspective. As um, an Eagles fan, I love to hear that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the difference is that Aaron Jones path to upside isn't as clear because we, we know what we saw last year was probably his ceiling. Um, and, and so I get where he's being drafted. Um, I'm more on the, on the, uh, lean on the side of selling and lean on the side of not really wanting to worry about that, that crowded backfield, um, in, in general, because I think that what we see in fantasy, a lot of times this, this goes for both dynasty and redraft, um, is we see this giant tier after the elite running backs of guys who, uh, likely don't have the, they might have the ability, but likely don't have the true productive upside to be in that uh, Zeke tier, CMC, even Alvin Kamara, what have you. Uh, they don't have that upside, but they're forced up draft boards simply because of demand and people needing the running back position and wanting the running back position. So what we see, and this is, again, this is more of a redraft take, but in the second round of drafts this year, you see Aaron Jones flying off the board and it's just because it's a dead spot in drafts where you, know, you might not feel great about some of the wide receivers there at that point. And you know, the wide receiver position feels deep. Um, and then the, the running back position really drops off. And so that's the main reason to me that Jones has the cost that he has. And that's usually, usually exploitable because he's essentially at the top of his tier. And anytime that you can get a guy at the top of their tier and sell them, that means you can sell them for a guy at the bottom of that tier, let's say, who would be more cost effective. And then you're getting value out of it. Yeah. And this is, I think, a perfect one of Dustin's ideal sell candidates, right, Dustin, in Dynasty? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to sell any running back going into the final year of their contract. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Aaron Jones is definitely the one that I'm trying to sell. I I got him in a trade last week, and he's my fifth running back, so I'm I'm fine. I haven't got anyone to bite. I'll just wait till he starts producing early in the season, and then I'll sell him at that point. But yeah, he, uh, I don't. I am worried about him just going into next year. I just don't know what that team's going to look like. I don't know if he's going to be back. I don't know if he wants to be back. So there's just a, I just have a lot of questions with Aaron Jones, um, but it's just more the running back position in general for me. I want to sell that right before that last year of the contract and just get out. I just, with JJ alluded to it earlier with kind of what's happening with the running back landscape. Um, I don't know if a lot of running backs are going to continue to get those second year contracts. And if they are, we don't know where they're going to be situation. I just don't want to deal with that. Um, I'm just fine turning over the running back position every two to three years. So that's, that's how I'm going to, that's how I play. And so Aaron Jones falls into all that category for me. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. It makes a lot of sense. And so uh, those were the only three names we had listed. I did uh, uh, put on here though. Do you have any other, you know, big regression candidates we should be looking at that I haven't mentioned? Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, would have thought of of some of the bigger ones like you just mentioned. Uh, so I, I went with a couple of lower key ones that might not be thought about that much. One of them is actually Nick Chubb, but from a positive regression stand, positive touchdown regression standpoint, uh, he actually should have had more touchdowns last year, a few more touchdowns on the ground. Um, I'm not, you know, I I, I love Nick Chubb post Kareem Hunt. You know, maybe next year that would be, I, I, you know, he could end up being close to the RB one in fantasy. Um, but 
you know, this year, obviously Kareem Hunt's taken some of that, that work through the air and we should be a little bit worried and concerned about that given the splits we saw last year when Kareem Hunt was healthy. Um, but at the same time, I think that that Chubb's positive touchdown regression, which uh, again, based on the weighted formula that I work with, he should have had three more rushing touchdowns last year than he had. Um, so there's a little bit of upside there, a little bit of potential there. Uh, so I at least want to call that out because I think Nick Chubb's sort of just getting destroyed right now across dynasty and redraft Twitter because of what Kareem Hunt is and what he brings to the table. But, you know, I think longer term uh, Chubb is, is lo- in a really, really good spot. And even this season, I think end up could be, or he could end up being a little bit undervalued, even though I like to target guys who are catching more passes, but the guy who to me is, is, is overvalued in all formats right now is Raheem Mostert. Um, you know, he, he right now, uh, I mean, in redraft, he's like a mid RB two, which to me is kind of bonkers. Uh, he scored almost five more rushing touchdowns last year than he should have had. Um, but then on top of that, he's not a pass catcher. He hasn't been a pass catcher. Um, and, and to me, obviously Matt breed is gone, but if you look at their splits last season down the stretch, when, when guys were healthy, uh, Tevin Coleman was, was still seeing a little bit more volume through the air. And we've seen Tevin Coleman be an effective pass catcher in the past. Um, so I'm more inclined to, to just pay nothing, pay very little for a guy like Tevin Coleman, uh, than to, to get Raheem Mostert, who, you know, is 28 years old, going to be 29 soon, I think, or maybe like he's, he's not in a a great spot age wise either. Um, so to me, he's just a very clear candidate who's going to regress and someone who I'm not really targeting in any format. Yeah, I was just. I love. That. I'm sorry, Dustin. You, you oh, can go. Yeah, no, I love the the Tevin Coleman take. I've been trying to buy him everywhere. He was pretty productive before the injuries last year. Yeah, and now Breed is gone, so there's one less mouth there. And I just think Mostert was just a victim of circumstance positively at the end of the season last year. Um, but Tevin, you can get for like a second round pick in um dynasty leagues right now and i love buying tevin all over the place right now i've been taking him in the sfb mocks i've been doing i've been taking him like the 13th 14th round i think that could be like a league winner for you just because i think he has the that late in the draft i think he has the some of the highest opportunity to uh, show positive regression just on draft capital yeah, and it's not like the 28-year-old running back breakout is really a thing. So Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so I, I think most are, yeah, it was like, as Destin said, kind of just things worked out perfectly at the end of last year. And it's interesting, too, what you said about Chubb, because everyone's worried about what happened at the end of last year when Hunt came back. So um, it's nice to hear the TD regression is in order. So um, we'll move on to our next topic, which was um, the rookie running back battles. I thought that would be interesting to talk about because in all dynasty owners are, are hyping up these guys. Um, they're most of the rookie running backs, even in super flex or top like five, six, seven picks. So I picked out a few here. Um, one we sort of talked about already, which was Swift and, and carry on. How do you see that playing out exactly this year? Yeah. So, you know, the way that I approach this um, from a projection standpoint uh, and just, you know, wrapping my head around it, um, it's always good to have a coaching staff that has already proven to give a running back a workhorse role, which is what I was talking about earlier with Cam Akers. You just feel more comfortable projecting that potential outcome. Uh, So when you're when you're building these projections, you know, a a team like Detroit, um, they've they've openly talked about wanting a split backfield that they they don't want a, a workhorse per se i still have swift ahead of carry on but i think that the the split isn't as intense as what we might see from an adp perspective so i would almost argue that that carry on would be the the better you know more dart throw guy for at least from a redraft standpoint 
I'm not buying him by any means in, in dynasty because we know that his ceiling's capped. Um, but you know, those guys, if you're in a best ball dynasty, I play in a lot of best ball dynasties. Um, but if you're in a best ball dynasty, someone like carry on Johnson makes a lot of sense as a target right now, because, uh, people are down on him for sure, because Swift is there. Uh, but at the same time, he's going to have some usable weeks, uh, even if Swift is healthy. And then if something were to happen to Swift, if he goes down with an injury, then carry on all of a sudden, we'll, we'll, we'll see a, a larger workload and be a lot more usable. So I see Swift as a better asset than carry on. Don't get me wrong, but I think that the gap between the two is a little bit closer, at least in the short term than how some people are projecting it. Yeah, I, I agree. Carry on's not not something you're gonna somebody you're gonna be targeting, but he could have some definite usefulness for, for the next two years, really. Yeah. What about Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack? Yeah, so this is a situation where again we've seen the Colts. I mean, when when Marlon Mack's been healthy, he's been on the field a good bit and he's seen a pretty decent workload when he's been healthy. Um, you know, obviously the receiving work hasn't really been there. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor at least has the chops. He's a better, I mean to me, he's a way better uh, uh, talent than, than Marlon Mack is. I um, mean, he, he's able to catch passes out of the backfield. So to me, uh, I think that that the the gap between the two makes a lot of sense. Um, I have Taylor as someone uh, who could easily just take over that backfield towards the end of the year. You know, I'm definitely from the camp that in real football, running backs aren't that big of a deal. Uh, I don't want to go to the point where they and say that they don't matter because that can be uh, misconstrued a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that, running back talent is meaningful because we want to see coaches. We, we know that coaches are looking at talent and they're evaluating talent. And if someone is talented, they're going to want them to be on the field. And to me, Jonathan Taylor is an incredibly talented running back. Uh, someone who almost broke my model. Uh, he, he's, he's in a really good spot as even as an early, early second rounder, um, you know, in, in the real NFL draft because draft capital is a big deal within my model. He was still an unbelievable uh, prospect within that model. So I wouldn't be shocked if Jonathan Taylor ends up just taking that backfield towards the end of the year. And I know there's a lot of talk about Naheem Hines getting passes, catching passes out of the backfield because of Philip Rivers' tendency to throw to the running back position. Um, but if Jonathan Taylor is the early down guy, slash if he starts seeing a bigger workload, he's going to be on the field enough to be able to, to grab hold of a, a decent-sized target share. So of all these running backs that are in, quote, split backfields, um, I feel by far the most confident in Jonathan Taylor to, to take on a role later in that season, especially if the Colts are competitive, because then they're going to feel this need to throw out their best players in that backfield. Uh, Dustin, any thoughts on, on JT and, and Mac? No, I, I think just JT is a superior talent. I'm not worried about Mac being there. Every team nowadays uses two plus running backs on their team. That's just normal. I love JT. I had him as my running back one this year. Took him over DH in every draft that I had earlier picks in. I just, Mac, I think he's what he is. He's going to be, like, he's valuable to have on your team, but he's never going to be the, the guy that's going to go out and take over a game like JT will. So I'm right there. JT is, I think he's a slam dunk this year. Yeah, I agree with what, J, uh, with, what JJ said about Jonathan Taylor. I, I just think he's easily the most talented back in this class. He had the huge production profile. And of all the guys, I definitely think he's the most likely um, to be able to come out of one of these battles and, and just take it over, even with Naheem Hines uh, there, too. Um, he may be the third down back, but, uh, you know, the Philip Rivers can dump off on first and second down, too. So um, but let's get into our third one, which was uh, Dobbins and J.K. Dobbins and Ingram. 
And uh, I Dobbins, I love. He's he's one of my favorite running backs in this class. But I I definitely think he could be a guy that we don't see as much from this year as opposed to Taylor. What do you think, JJ? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think that you know we'll likely have one more year with Mark Ingram. Um, so so in this rookie season, we might not see a ton from Dobbins. And the other thing too that worries me, and I, I've seen Dobbins ADP and redraft rise a little bit over the last month or so. My fear with Dobbins is I don't know where the pass catching is going to come from. We know that they're a run-heavy team. They're going to be more pass-heavy than than they were last year, just naturally from regression. You know, they're likely not going to be as as efficient offensively. They only ran like twenty-one percent of their offensive plays last year while trailing, which was by far uh, the lowest rank, lowest mark in the league. Um, so they're likely not going to see game scripts like that. So sure, there's going to be more passing that can benefit the running backs. Um, but just given the fact that we know that we're entering this season with a split backfield and it's not like Mark Ingram was totally ineffective last year, uh, in that backfield. And I would assume that he's going to see a lot of goal line work early on. It's just hard to see, you know, the, the true upside without an injury here in year one for Dobbins. But I, like you, I Dobbins to me is in his own tier, uh, within my dynasty ranks. I have CEH Jonathan Taylor in tier one, and then tier two is just just J.K. Dobbins. So I love this spot long term. I think it's a great landing spot. But his rookie season, I think the production might not be there totally. Yeah, it's a definitely a great scheme fit. Dustin, what do you think? I actually think I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think that Dobbins may actually start showing a little bit of value earlier in the season. I'm worried a little bit about Mark in- Ingram's injury. I was listening to Ethan Turner on Superflex Super Show, and he was talking about the calf injury that Mark Ingram had in, in the playoffs is, is a bigger deal than people think, and that Mark Ingram still isn't really working out and in, in running in the offseason. Um, and that injury sometimes leads to Achilles injuries, and the fact that he's a little bit older, I think that they may bring Ingram on slowly. So if Dobbins starts showing early, that he may get more touches throughout the season if he's producing. Um, I am worried a little bit about the pass catching, just seeing where those targets are coming from. But I think he'll get on the field earlier than people think he is. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. I, I I just worry about, I think Ingram of all these guys is the best competition, even if he is older, that all the rookie running backs have to deal with. Yeah, I agree with the. I mean, Ingram's a great talent. So if Ingram's healthy, then... You know they're gonna bring Dobbins on slowly. I just I don't know that he is healthy, so that's that's where I, I, I switch a little bit. Okay, and one other thing, um, something I heard on JJ's pod a week or two ago, he talked about breakout running backs, and the he mentioned the four, a few different trends uh, that they weren't handcuffs. Um, they come from ambiguous backfields, um, usually the pass catchers, and don't necessarily have to be uh, young. So. Um, I just wrote down a few names that kind of, I don't know that any of these guys will be breakout running backs, but that you didn't mention on the show and kind of, I think, fit that criteria somewhat. Um, one of them was Devin Singletary, but I listened to late round, late round QB today and you started off with like a three minute uh, <laughs> uh, discussion on Devin Singletary. So if, if you want to hear about Singletary, go listen to episode 384. But the other three guys were um, Antonio Gibson, Keyshawn Vaughn, and Matt Breda. Uh, they all seem to be the, the more likely pass catchers in their offense in, in ambiguous backfield. So just uh, if you can give us a little bit on all three, what you think? Yeah, love all three of those guys. Um, I, I think Antonio Gibson right now, uh, really, really undervalued uh, in, in redraft in particular. I think his dynasty value is about right. Um, but from a redraft standpoint, you get him for free, essentially. And I don't see the path to to seeing volume in that Washington backfield to be 
to, to have that much resistance. I understand Darius Geis is there. There's you know some potential from that perspective, but they 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 draft Antonio Gibson onto a team that lacks pass catchers. Um, there should be opportunity for Antonio Gibson who uh di- didn't play running back in college you know was, wasn't that traditional isn't that traditional guy he's more he wasn't even you know tony pollard was more of a running back than antonio gibson was in memphis so you know i t- the way that i see it is uh he should have a pass catching role and that's usually what we see from these breakout guys and by breakout i defined it as uh running backs who were drafted out of the top 60 so outside of round five where opportunity cost is a lot lower um and generally speaking you see these breakouts not being handcuffs, like you said, and the, the average pick uh, for their running back teammate that's being drafted ahead of them is like in round five. That's why they're part of ambiguous backfield. So Antonio Gibson definitely fits the mold. Keyshawn Vaughn, he brought up. He actually t- is being drafted higher than Jones, I guess, right? Yeah, well, yeah. the thing is, it's, it's, it's slowly shifting. We're seeing more and more uh, love towards Ronald Jones, which is bizarre to me, given what he's... I mean, look, Ronald Jones is fine as, a, as, a, as an early down runner, but he's struggled tremendously dating back to apparently high school, but I at least know in college too, he struggled as a pass catcher. Um, and so, you know, just, just by basic logic and, and the way that uh, this study was laid out, Keyshawn Vaughn fits the mold really, really well. I, I've been... I've essentially drafted Keyshawn Vaughn in like every redraft mock or real draft that I've done because he's dropping to like the seventh, eighth, sometimes even later round. Um, And to me, you know, from a projection standpoint, Keyshawn Vaughn comes out in the thirties, you know, maybe like RB 31, 32. Um, But the wild thing to me is that we don't, you know, uh, sure. he, He has a floor that is maybe scary, but you're drafting him in the seventh or eighth round. So who cares? You're really shooting for ceiling there, right? So if he's coming out in a projection at like RB30, uh, there's obviously some upside and some potential there. You know, he's a, a strong pass catcher. Uh, he really did it all. He's, he's a, a jack of all trades, master of none is the best way I would describe him as a prospect. Just a solid, solid player. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that gives people some like hesitance because there's not this like crazy allure with him. Um, but if you look at all of the quotes pre, pre-draft and what Bruce Arians was saying about that backfield, he wanted a guy who could do all three things or do everything and play all three downs. And technically he has that in Keyshawn Vaughn. So I'm definitely throwing my dart at Keyshawn Vaughn as opposed to Ronald Jones this year. And then uh, you mentioned Matt Burita as well. He's the guy in that backfield that I would rather target uh, as opposed to Jordan Howard, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm targeting these pass catchers, even in standard leagues uh, targets are more valuable than, than attempts are. Um, so uh, to me, you know, Matt Breida is is definitely a strong target, especially if that Miami offense is a little bit better than we expect them to be. And so what I'm hearing is I should definitely draft Keyshawn Vaughn and Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> you know what's weird about Keyshawn Vaughn is that he's one of the rare players that I probably like more in redraft than Dynasty. Rare rookies, you know, where where in Dynasty, I, the, the opportunity cost when you draft him, you're, you're drafting him over some really talented and good wide receivers. So I... I, I actually don't have a ton of key. I have some, but not a ton of Keyshawn Vaughn and, and Dynasty, but I'm all about him in redraft because the cost of acquiring just isn't significant. Yeah, I agree. He's a lot of places he's going. You know, he was a first round rookie pick um, in Dynasty, which I definitely agree is too high. I, I got him at 205 in a draft and I, that that was a good range for me. But um, so I guess we have some listener questions as well here. So we're going to go into the listener questions. Listener questions. 
first one is from Akeem Smiley at Akeem underscore Smiley. I'm curious about any second and third year players that JJ's models loved when they were coming out of college, but just haven't hit yet. Is he still optimistic on said players? Yeah. So um, I, I think that a question like this is probably more focused on wide receivers since we generally, we have a better idea of running backs after the first year or two. Um, but I will say, I will say, one guy that my model liked more than where he was drafted. Uh, I shouldn't say that it liked him because he was a 63rd percentile guy, which I usually want a 75th or higher at the running back position. Um, but Travion Williams is kind of intriguing to me uh, because he looked good in the model. Uh, he was really, really productive in college. Um, but Joe Mixon is a, is a holdout candidate as well. So if something crazy happens with Mixon in the holdout and maybe they can't get something done and we see something in Travion Williams like my model saw, uh, then there's some intrigue there and he's free basically. So I'm not saying that Travion Williams is someone that you should like be giving anything substantial for, but you can, I mean, he's probably on waiver wires in some leagues. So um, that that's the one running back I wanted to call out, but from the 2018 class, two guys that uh, were eight. So at wide receiver, I want guys that are 80th percentile or higher. Um, that's just what I've found is, is uh, where guys hit uh, at a higher rate and sort of where a drop off exists. Uh, one guy who I'm not as high on, um, as the other one, but from the 2018 class, James Washington, uh, ranked really well in my model. I'm just not that high on him right now because I do think that they drafted Chase Claypool as sort of like the outside replacement for James Washington or a guy who can compete with James Washington. Whereas Deontay Johnson has a chance to be a stud. Um, and, and obviously Juju there in the slot. So I'm less optimistic about James Washington. One guy who might be my my highest rostered player in Dynasty, actually, is from that 2018 class, and he hasn't really broken out yet, is Anthony Miller. Um, so he's he's an 82nd percentile uh, player from my model. Um, should have opportunity this year. We saw a stretch last year when Taylor Gabriel had all those concussions and that concussion issue. Uh, we saw Anthony Miller be a, a top 20 wide receiver for five straight weeks. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this situation with a, a quarterback change, uh, he should be on the field. He's evidently healthy, which we haven't seen. Um, but he was a really good prospect coming out. So I'm still buying Anthony Miller. I'm not buying James Washington as much, but I'm, I'm more into Anthony Miller. And then from last year in that crazy class, um, you know, I still think that you can, you can, the, the four guys that my model liked last year that didn't do much were Nikhil Harry, the model liked a lot, which isn't shocking because he was an right. analytics darling. JJ uh, Arcega Whiteside didn't, didn't hate. Uh, Paris Campbell, it didn't hate either. And that's, I would say Campbell and Ortega Whiteside were more, uh, based on draft capital, but it also really liked Andy Isabella. Um, and it factors in, you know, conference and strength of schedule and stuff like that. So it still liked Andy Isabella a lot because his numbers were out of control at UMass. Um, but I'm not overly optimistic about any of these guys at this point, uh, mostly because of what I talked about earlier, I did a study on, on how rookies perform and what that means for the rest of their careers and, and moving forward. And we very rarely see guys who are as bad as some of these guys in terms of fantasy points scored do much throughout the rest of their career. I think that in, in of the guys who didn't perform well, you usually could pinpoint a reason as to why they didn't perform. It is usually an injury related thing. So from that standpoint, I think you can make the argument for Nikhil Harry and Paris Campbell. Um, but I'm I'm way more worried than I wanted to ever be about Andy Isabella because I loved him coming out last year. And, and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, I think we all saw what happened last season. He had prime opportunity to step in and, and be that guy for Philadelphia, and we just didn't see it out of him. So, of course, you can get some of those guys for really, really cheap, so I can't fault anyone for targeting. But 
uh, targeting them. But I think from from my the standpoint of my model and where my head's at right now, I'm not as high on any of those guys as I was last year. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I like the. Um, I've been trying to buy Nikhil Harry. I still think that you know he can. You can get him for like a late second. I still think that he can show something, or at least I'm hoping he does. Um, I know he like he was the consensus one on one last year, and I'm trying not to forget that. So I'm like, I'm trying to buy him, but I I'm not paying anything for him just because I think that you know there's still that opportunity that he doesn't do anything. I don't know what that team is going to look like. So, um, but yeah, like you said, I'm not really buying any of those guys either. I think they they didn't really show, and I don't know that now they're going to get that opportunity to show. We're seeing a lot more turnover and deeper wide receiver class this year and potentially next year that, you know, these guys don't hit pretty early. They're going to, I, I don't think they're going to get those long leashes that they were given before. I don't think we're going to see many of the Devonte Parkers happen. Um, you know, the fifth year breakout. I don't think that we're going to see that with any of these guys. Yeah. And the, the, the third year guys, I think Miller is pretty interesting too. I did. I've never really totally gotten on the Miller train, but he's definitely flashed. And the people who, who like Andre Miller seem to, I'm sorry, Anthony Miller seem to love Anthony Miller. So we'll see what happens this year. The, the QB situation is a little worrying. I uh, do love Anthony Miller. So I've been trying <laughs> to buy him all over. Cause I, yeah, I, 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 I was starting him down the stretch. Like I was like, he was, he was putting up, he was producing quietly. Like nobody was catching on to it. So I bought a whole bunch of him last year and I've been buying him in the off season. Cause people like, there's just not a lot of love out there for him. But if you do find that league that they love him, like they love him or they hate him. Like there's not really any in between and I'm in the love him camp. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to our next listener question submitted by Keith Ensminger at the Sming Dynasty. Um, given the landscape of today's NFL and the number of aging quarterbacks like Breeze, Brady, Rivers, Big Ben, etc., do you feel that late-round QB is still a viable strategy? And he adds, in Dynasty and in Superflex. Uh, yes to both. So I'll, I'll say this. So I, I think in single quarterback leagues, we, we sort of already touched on it, where you know you can it, the, the the supply and demand dynamics still exist in dynasty, and there are so the, the position is like twenty plus deep for viable starters. So it's not that difficult to acquire. You can get guys like Burrow in the second round of rookie drafts, and you know it's not like that's a huge cost. Um, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, but superflex is definitely different, and and the main reason I say that it's different is not because you know, the supply and demand formula changes where we now have a higher demand for these quarterbacks and therefore the cost goes up. And uh, obviously the the value uh, based drafting approach, you know, it, it increases, you know, the QB one or QB two is a lot more uh, valuable versus the baseline player versus what we see in a single quarterback league. It's not just because of that. It's mostly, I would argue, because quarterbacks are currency in super flex leagues. I would argue that quarterbacks are no cheap or are, are at their cheapest in a super flex dynasty league during a startup. Um, because once you start going in a league uh, and, and you see uh, injuries happen to the position, especially injuries to teams that are competitive, uh, you can then flip those quarterbacks for a nice price. Um, so I, I, I am, I am more inclined to drafting quarterbacks earlier in super flex leagues, at least one, um, and maybe platooning and and sort of playing by matchup with the with the second quarterback. But when I say drafting one earlier, I'm not just going for like the Kyler Murrays and Dak Prescotts of the world. I'm going for guys who I feel confident. And this goes really for any dynasty league with quarterbacks. But I go for guys who I feel confident are going to have their job for three plus years. So I'm I'm I this offseason I drafted a lot of like 
Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield, right? Guys who I feel confident will be able to, to maintain. Maybe Baker's a little bit more volatile, but you know, guys who I at least feel semi-confident will be able to keep their job. But at the same time, their price tags aren't great. They're not guys I would ever target in single quarterback leagues because they don't have that true upside. But in a super flex league, you're just trying to get by with the quarterback because your lineup's likely never going to be perfect. So you're just trying to sort of get by, play by matchup a little bit at the quarterback position while really beefing up running back and wide receivers. That's generally my approach uh, with those two formats. Yeah, I think this is where Rocky and I disagree. He does the late round super flex as well. He just doesn't pay for for uh, quarterbacks at all. And I'm the type, I, I would try to get two to three quarterbacks um, by like round seven, eight. I like to I like to be the one to start the trend and not be caught in the middle of it. And so I'm usually the one that I'll, I'll take, you know, one in the second, maybe the two, three turn. I, I like to take two quarterbacks there. Um, but I, I, I want three studs um, at quarterback just because I know if I ever need to trade them, like you said, their value is the best in the startup that, you know, I'll take those three studs and then I'll be like, okay, I'll sell them for a lesser player and a running back or whatever, you know, so uh, Rocky and I, we, we go back and forth on this quite a bit because um, he's, he doesn't pay for quarterbacks at all, but I'm yeah. definitely taking them early. This is an interesting time. We're actually going to have with our guests next week, a whole super flex oriented show, but um, I'm de- that's definitely, and by late round super flex quarterback, I think it's more what JJ was saying though. And it, uh, another thing JJ said earlier is he plays to win now a lot of the time. And so do I uh, in startups. And when I buy late round, it's, I'm more comfortable. I'm comfortable getting like my QB 14, 16, and 18, and then just rolling them out based on matchups. Mm-hmm. I, I, like you said, I like to, to beef up the other positions. And then I always, when I, I occasionally will draft a guy earlier, but if I do that, that three quarterback, uh, you know, mid to late QB twos, then just roll them out there and 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 I think I can still get close to that production kind of like the whole late round QB theory basically. So we did have one more question, but we're running long. So we're going to move on to our find me a trade portion of the show. Find me a trade. Um this league uh it's actually a pretty basic league 12 team one QB half PPR no tight end premium only eight starters going back to the shallow starter uh discussion earlier and he starts a qb two running backs two wide receivers a tight end and two flex in his league um he's got a pretty stacked lineup uh uh, stacked roster he's got breeze and ryan a quarterback for what that matters uh barkley zeke dobbins Gurley, jonathan taylor carry on johnson he's also got adams and mike evans at wide receiver ty hilton jerry judy so they clearly already had their the rookie uh draft this year and travis kelsey and a couple young tight ends so um he also has four 2021 first next year as well so i don't know what the rest of this guy's league has been doing but <laughs> um he said he's made finished top three every year since 2013, uh, 2013, obviously in title contending mode, and sent this to us for Find Me a Trade, which, by the way, it's P-Win Dynasty at P-Win Dynasty, and he wanted me to mention Dynasty Outhouse. Please start Trade at X9. But anyway, JJ, you can go and give your trade first. Yeah, so uh, the fact that he has four 2021 first was like mind-blowing after looking at his roster, because the roster is strong right there's yeah. there's really good core pieces there and then he also has like decent young pieces there i have no idea how this roster came about but uh good on you good on you <laughs> uh 
I my my proposal was, uh, you know, I, I love targeting teams that are bad, um, you know, to to help beef them up a little bit and give them, especially when you have four 2021 first, you can go to a team that's not looking great on paper and throw some of those firsts at them for for one of their best guys. So the the trade that I found uh, was was a, a roster that did not look very strong on paper. Um, you know, the best player on this roster is AJ Brown, which is who I'm targeting here. And it's me giving up two 2021 firsts. I don't know where those firsts are um, or where they would be projected to be. So you have to do a little negotiating there. But because um, I'm assuming that you would have to have some some at least one of them being early um, to get AJ Brown. But it would be sending two of those guys for AJ Brown, because if you look at his roster too, the the one that we're talking about here, uh, the really competitive one, the awesome one. Um, you know, the, the wide receiver situation is, I mean, realistically, it's really strong with, uh, with Adams and Mike Evans and Jerry Judy and Jalen Rager and Henry Ruggs, but you're still running into a scenario where these guys could bust, you don't know. And then you have somewhat guys who are kind of at the peak of their age curve with, with Adams and Mike Evans, where, you know, they, they could see a downturn here shortly. You know, I think they're still great. I think Adams is arguably the wide receiver one this year. Right. Um, so I, I think if you can get rid of two of those 2021 first and get a, a nice piece at wide receiver to sort of grow with that group. Cause the running back position is really solid for him right now. Um, I'm not, I'm not opposed to doing something like that. And then you can use the other two 21 for 2021 first to maybe go after the running back position. And um, my, my trade is very similar to this. So I'm going to let Dustin comment on this, but uh, I'll get into why I like it. Love the trade you came up with here because mine's almost uh, identical in a way. So Dustin, what do you think? Yeah, I think if you can pull that off for A.J. Brown, you have to do it. Um, looking at that other team that has A.J. Brown, he's not a contender right now. So I think he may look at the the, the two picks and see the value in kind of getting two additional pieces there. Um, I, that other team definitely needs to kind of retool and rebuild. Um, and A.J. Brown isn't going to make his team that much better. So I think um, he... Uh, JJ found the right team that this could potentially work with. Um, I also think that, you know, don't be scared to add another smaller piece into this mm -hmm. deal to, to get it done. Um, like yep. if, if, if you talk to the owner and he's willing to, to talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, AJ Brown, then I think you have to do it. Um, you might be able to sweeten it a little bit by adding like Alexander Madison, uh, who right. right now has higher perceived value um people are, are buying him everywhere and so you know if you have to add a piece like madison to it don't be scared to add that little piece to get the deal done but um i like the i love the concept i think he needs uh wide receivers he's still strong but i think that's the area that he needs the most help if if that's a thing on his roster but yeah yeah, and I agree, and I'm just going to go right into mine because it kind of syncs up with JJ's, which is, um, is, I actually came up with this before I even saw his. I'm essentially off, also uh, offering two first in a way. Um, I had giving up Dobbins and uh, Henry Ruggs for DJ Moore. So DJ Moore's uh, maybe even a little more hyped up than uh, AJ Brown is. And I love DJ Moore. If, uh, if I was a big enough fantasy analyst to have uh, uh, one of those stickers on DTC, it would say Rocky's man's next to DJ Moore. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so the two for, I mean, it comes, it came out on DTC. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, as DLF uh, trade analyzer as a bit of an overpay. I don't think it is. I, I just think DJ Moore is about as much of a lock as you can possibly have to be, 
to be a wide receiver one going forward as, as anyone out there that hasn't done it already. And just like JJ, I was actually a different team that has more, but um, he's definitely, he's already, you can see rebuilding. He's got almost nothing at running back except late round rookies. He's got Cortland Sutton, Debo Ridley, Jarvis Landry, T. Hicks. So he's got wide receiver depth where he can probably afford to spare DJ Moore um, to, to kind of aid the rebuild. And as we sort of alluded to earlier, I think you don't necessarily want running backs in a rebuild, but Dobbins, I think, is a good rebuild running back because he won't score you a ton of points necessarily this year. And so again, it's been, and I would, I even put on here, I'd be willing to switch one, you know, rugs out maybe for 2021 first, if he wasn't a rugs guy. Um, Cause a lot of people aren't, but um, so that was my trade. And uh, since we kind of talked about it already in this sort of similar sense with uh, JJ's similar trade, Dustin, let's give yours. Yeah. So I kind of went a different route. Uh, I, I, I went big, um, even though he's already pretty stacked at, at running back. I, my offer was, you know, I want, he's, top three every year and he still has those four picks i have him trading three of those picks in henry ruggs for christian mccaffrey i just love if he went into a starting lineup with saquon zeke and Gurley and jonathan taylor or cmc or jt over Gurley, whatever like there's not going to be a team on a weekly basis that's going to be able to compete with you when and you still have Evans, Adams, Hilton, like you can still have enough pieces there with um, your wide receiver that I would just getting that, that running back room would, I think, propel you right into a championship and you still have one first going into the next year. Um, rugs. I don't think you're really ever going to need rugs. I don't, the community is kind of torn on what they think about rugs. Um, but you know, he was a first round draft pick in the NFL. So using that in the three first, I think you can get Christian McCaffrey. It was really, really close on the DLF trade analyzer. It was the McCaffrey side was 995 and the rugs and the pick side was 1001. So just a six point difference. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I think that would be an incredibly fun team to watch um, throughout the year and, and secure a championship. What do you guys think? Yeah, so we all basically had the same idea, which is basically just move some of these future assets to try and get himself another stud to stick in his starting lineup. Um, I, I do think what you said makes sense value-wise. I did look at the team with McCaffrey, and he looks like he could, maybe not as much as this guy contend, but he's got Lamar, he's got Eckler, he's got Tyreek, Galladay, Juju, so um, Hunter Henry at, at tight end. So I'm not sure he'd give him up just for all those picks. He might have to, you know, give a player in there or something. Any thoughts, JJ, before we uh, finish up here? Yeah, I mean, I think if you can do that trade, it'd be great. I, I'm still just shocked that this team exists. It's, it's, it's very, very strong. Yeah, definitely agree. And that pretty much wraps up our show for this week. I uh, wanted to again thank JJ for coming on. And uh, since we didn't really do it at the top, if you want to just give a – Give everybody your Twitter handle, all the stuff you do. I'm sure a lot of people know, but let them let them know all your pods and your your website and everything. Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter at Late Round QB. Uh, my podcast, which is the Late Round Podcast, you can find that anywhere podcasts can be found. Um, and then all my written stuff is over on NumberFire.com. Yeah, if you guys haven't listened to the Late Round Podcast, I don't know what you guys have been doing. The Late Round QB, it's fantastic. Like it, I I listened this morning just like Rocky said, and I loved the Singletary take. And everyone just needs to go check it out. It's it's amazing, um, and I love that it's you know fifteen to twenty minute episodes. Not everyone can just sit and knock out an hour plus episode. So 
you know, if you're looking for some great content and you don't have a lot of time, check it out. It's fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to mention the time thing. I, ever, I think everybody, I always hear everybody I hear talk about it, loves that. It's like nice 15, 20 minutes, JJ's out. There you go. Yeah, it's the, I always <laughs> say it's, it's the shower podcast. People yeah. can do it in the shower. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so um, just to, to some of our little getting our business out of the way before we sign off here. Um, again, the pod account Twitter handle is at Dynasty Junkies. Um, the me and Dustin are at Dynasty FF Addict. That's me. At Dynasty Junkie FF is Dustin. Also follow the DAP Network at DAP underscore Network. Um, as we are a member of the Dynasty Addicts Podcast Network. Also give them a subscribe, rate, and review. Definitely give us a, su- a subscription, rate, and review. The reviews really help. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Also, um, just real briefly, me and Dustin have been talking, and we think um, we have at least 12 listeners, so we're going to try and start a uh, <laughs> a listener league. Um, so if you want to, if you're interested, just DM the pod account at Dynasty Junkies. Um Buy-in's going to be fairly low. Portion's going to go to charity. We're thinking probably around, I think, was forty dollars what we did come up with. Yeah. Or for, uh, yeah. So it's uh, not going to be too expensive. A portion's going to go to charity. You know, sort of honoring the Scott Fishbowl and uh, also tying in with the Scott Fishbowl. We're going to do their set. That's set up for the league as well because we thought that'd be fun. So the same uh, eleven starter setup. The same. We're we're taking out the sacks and the completion thing that he added this year, but the same basic scoring as well. So everybody, uh, if you're interested, give us a DM. We'd like to get it set up in the next couple weeks. And that's all we got, and we'll be back next week. Junkies out.